Hey, Papa, guess what? What? I need new clothes. Baby needs new clothes. Where do you think we could go find some cool designs to, from to wear? Oh, I think I have an idea. I mean, we've got some awesome designs for people to wear. Oh, I didn't think about that. If you go over to our website, what is that one again? It's um, tpublic.com slash foster care nation. Yeah, I think we got t-shirts and tank tops and hoodies and sweatshirts and baby any- onesies. They don't have any dad size onesies there, do they? Mm, I don't think so. But the baby onesies are super adorable. Yeah, they are. They even got some kids hoodies and, and short sleeve t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts. Maybe we should go over there and check it out. Where is that again? It's over at Tee Public, right? Yeah. Foster Care Nation? Yeah. TEEpublic.com slash Foster Care Nation. You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I see now. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have Morgan Wolf with us. And for those of you who cannot see Morgan, I'm just going to suggest that maybe she might be wearing something a little bit different than your average person. Morgan, how are you doing today? And what is up with this super cool outfit that you happen to be wearing? I'm doing well. It's nice to meet you guys. Well, I am currently at Miss Oklahoma for America Strong 2021. That wow. is awesome. That is awesome. I yeah. do love the crown. I could use one of those. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I could use one of them, but I don't think I would. Um, I don't think it would fit my head quite right. No, you can't be the queen. It's adjustable. Uh, it's adjustable. It, it, this is a pretty big head, I'm told. So at least that's what Amanda tells me. Yeah. I don't know yes. if she means that, you know, literally or or metaphorically or what. I'm just. I think it's an insult. I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyways, so, that's that's really awesome. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we have you on here today, obviously, because you have a story that involves foster care and adoption and all that good stuff. And so we wanted to hear about your story. So tell us, how did you get involved in the system? So my story is um, very unique. I actually found out very late in life that I myself went through foster care and adoption process. Um, I went through two foster homes when I was little that I have no memory of. Um, and then at 23 years old, I found out that I, I was adopted. Oh, wow. 23 is fairly old. And I'd, I'd like to like talk about how that maybe was a horrible decision by somebody. I don't know what your personal opinion is or, you know, and all that, but you know, Amanda and I can speak to that just a little bit. Our oldest son, um, he had a different biological father and he bounced when, when he was little and I just. I've always, he's always known me as dad. He was what, two years old when I met him. He's always known me as dad. And how old was he when he called us that fateful phone call? 21. 21. So at 21 years old, he called us from some other state. I think Tennessee. he was in Tennessee. I was stationed yeah, was in Tennessee at the time. And he said, I just got an interesting phone call. And 
it's like some guy called me and says he's my stepbrother. And, you know, we we ended up having to have that whole conversation that we never had. We searched for years to find the right time to talk about that. And we never felt like we felt the right time. And then the time was pushed upon us. And fortunately for us and for him, you know, that we worked through all that. And that's been a wonderful, you know, part of our experience together, although it has its challenging moments when you have to deal with that. But it's turned out really well, better than we could have expected. Because we didn't have a clue how to handle that. So I'm curious, in your own experience, how is that, you know, how does that that experience been for you, finding out something so late in life that, that you had no yeah. clue about? So definitely my adoptive mom and dad are in the same boat that you guys were. They're just, there really isn't that perfect time to say, hey, you know, you endured all this trauma when you were little and, you know, we're not really your mom and dad. And so same thing, they they definitely struggled with, the when and what time, um, as far as how it is now, I'm 27 now. And I, I have a wonderful relationship with my mom and dad who adopted me. Um, they, they saved my life. So for me, you know, for me to sit and be upset with them, I just, I can't get myself to do it. You know, it's something I wish I kind of would have known, but I also look at it from their perspective and, you know, I can sit here and be upset about it, but then I really think about it. And they gave me 23 years of peace of not knowing the ugly and the trauma that I did endure. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have no memory at all of, of anything before living with your parents or your adoptive parents that you know now? I, so I do have one memory. One of my, so one of the biggest factors is the senior the senior year video. I graduated 2014 and they ask you for a baby picture, a newborn picture, middle school and high school. Well, my whole life, I've never seen a newborn picture of myself. And I had always wondered why. Um, and again, I never to get myself to ask because I look like my adoptive dad and I look like my adoptive dad's sister. And so my whole life, I was just like, there's no way, like, there's no way this isn't my family. This is all I know. This is, you know, my whole, my whole life. And I vividly remember my senior year, I had turned in a picture of me when I was four, my mom and dad adopted me when I was four. And I, that's all I had. And I did turn that in. And the girl who I turned it into was like, you know, she kind of laughed at me and she was like, ah, you know, we need a newborn picture. And I was like, well, you're gonna have to make that work. And I just turned around and walked off. And that's kind of been a moment that has stuck with me ever since. And that's really what kind of got my mind jogging. And so thinking to my childhood, the only memory that I have was a specific smell of a garage. I remember this white house. It was my second foster home that I went to. There was a white house and then there was a tractor that sat on the right. And they happened to turn their garage into like a playroom. And I remember the smell of that garage because growing up my whole life, I had always been looking for that smell. Like it sounds, it sounds odd to say out loud, but when I would go to my friend's house or I would go to family members' house, like I would, I would try to figure out a way to get into the garage because I had been looking for that smell my whole life and I didn't know where it came from. And so after everything come to the surface and I hunted down, you know, all of my family and all my foster care families, I sat with uh, the second foster family who had, who had taken care of me. And 
I and I remember I was like there it, we were in a white house weren't we and he was like yeah and I was like there's a tractor that sat on the right he was like yeah and I was like I need to go see this house and he sent me the address and I went out to that house and it's abandoned now um and driving out to it and looking at it I don't vividly have a memory but for some reason, the garage door was open and I was like, golly. And I remember just kind of sitting in my car for 30 seconds because everything in my whole life that I had been hunting for was probably sitting right in front of me. And I got out of my car and I walked into the garage and um, eh, I had found that smell that I had been looking for. Wow. Smell is such an, a, and one of those things that we remember some of that at and we don't remember how, I had no clue how we remember all that. that that's such a powerful right. sense, but something that you had been chasing as a, the definition of home. Oh, yeah, we forgot to introduce our, our second co-host here today, too. Baby girl's going to join us. So sorry, people, if you hear some hollering. Great. She's just not terribly happy today. So you're going to hear a little fussing. Uh, we got shots yesterday. But, I mean, back to smell. Smell can be so powerful. A while back, me and the kids were in the store, and I had found this lotion, and it was my grandmother's lotion. And so, I mean, I had to buy it, and I brought it home, and I just, I kept smelling it, because that smell brought her back to me. You know, it brought back so many memories. So, smell can be so, so important. So, I'm, I'm curious, did you go into the garage at all? Did you spend any time there? I did. I did. It was all stripped out. It was all stripped out. And there was just dirt on the ground. I don't know what the foundation was, but it was, it was gone and it was just old and the wood had been rotted in it. And and I just, I stood right in the middle of it. And I was like, golly, like I finally, and the smell just, it just amazes me. It, It just, it still lingered. It was still there. Let's just hope that smell that you're so attracted to wasn't some sort of chemical <laughs> landfill that was there beforehand or something. <laughs> right. But yeah, that that's amazing that you, you're able to find that and get that piece of your history back into your current conscious life because, man, there's so many parts of our childhood that for a lot of us just, just don't stay in the memory. I, I don't have a lot of conscious memories of my own childhood. I don't have a real good reason yeah. for that. You know, not some specific traumas necessarily, but just that I don't. And so having some of those memories being brought back are, are awesome whenever, whenever you can. So that, that's amazing. So, you know, I want, I want to talk yeah. about your bio family just a little bit. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, y- you have had a chance to meet them. You, you said, right. Or at least part of the family. I have. Yeah. What, I've what has that been? Biolog- I'm sorry. What has that been like for you as, as you, you've researched who they are and, and figured some of that out? It's, it's truly has been amazing. Um, I've accomplished some of the greatest accomplishments I think I will ever be able to be a part of uh, searching for my family. Um, I've gotten to help reconnect all six siblings. I found out that I'm actually the third oldest of six. Uh, I had no idea. I had no idea that I had all these siblings or even, you know, biological parents. I thought that I was with my biological parents. And so, and I've gotten to meet some aunts and some cousins along the line, and it it really has just been a wonderful experience. Now, I'm curious as you've you've walked through that, you know, have you have you got the chance to really build any of those connections with your biological mother and father? So there are there's a lot of ups and downs 
you know, with finding a family. I'm a very curious person. And so I just, the second I found out, I was just gung ho, like 100%, let's do this. And, you know, I've kind of had to learn the hard way of to not be so pushy about things. And unfortunately, you know, not knowing my biological parents, um, I've always said I will never say a negative word about them. I didn't know them. I, I didn't know they existed. I didn't even know their names or what they looked like until I was 23. Uh, the first first picture that I ever saw my biological father was his mugshot. And so that's kind of something that hits home, that hits deep. Um, and then as far as my biological mother, unfortunately, she has passed. And I never got I never got to meet her. Wow. That's tough. Uh, you know, having that taken away, have, have you had a chance to, to at least meet your, your bio dad? I have not. I have been in contact with him. Um, it didn't really go the way that I thought it was going to go. And I, I did ask our, my biological sister. We have the same mom and dad. And I asked, you know, my sister what her relationship was with our father. And she pretty much told me to not. Um, to not push that relationship. And so until she does, I, I probably won't either. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's amazing. You said you had, you, you're one of six siblings, you said? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a lot of connection there. Have you made all those connections? I have, we have, I'm actually the third, third oldest of six. And so when I found out about my adoption, there was a foster family who had put together a scrapbook for me. And when I opened the front cover, it didn't say Morgan Wolf on it. And seeing my name in front of a different last name, again, is something that I will remember for the rest of my life, um, that it just struck me to my core. And I was going through pages and they kept, they had kept a lot of my artwork and it was just house after house after house that I would draw. And I was like, why did I, you know, why did I draw so many houses? And they were like, Morgan, you know, all you wanted was a home. And so I was flipping through pages and there was a picture of a little girl in there that looked like me. And I was like, well, golly, this is true. <laughs> you know, there's me in, in this book. And my, that's when my dad was like, no, Morgan, that's your sister. And my adoptive parents did try to take my sister with me. Unfortunately, just due to circumstances, it, it didn't work out. And so I was the only one that was pulled and, and went through the system. And so I actually just, the you know, the world of Facebook, I totally have a different perspective of the world of Facebook. I just, it was 10 seconds. I typed in her name and, and there she was. And she, you know, she looked just like me. So it, it really, it wasn't hard. It was not hard to find her because we looked just alike. But and I messaged her that night and I was like, you know, I don't know how to start this, but um, I'm your sister. And because I didn't know what they knew either. And so I, w I was going into it kind of easy. And she she messaged me back that night. She was like, oh, my God, like I've been looking for you for 20 years, you know, and I've always wondered where you went and, and all that sort of stuff. And she she asked me, she's like, have you gotten contact with? the second sibling. And I was like, well, this was before I knew that there were six of us. And I was like, no, like I'm a little late to the ball game here. Like right now I don't even know who I am. And I just now met you and she got me in contact with the second sibling. 
And so I contacted her that night and kind of the same thing. They both have been looking for me my whole life. And I have even seen my Facebook post of my sister writing my name in a sibling search, you know, for like National Siblings Day. She stated, I'm looking for my sister Morgan. I think she was born in 95. She was taken from my mother very early. And, you know, if anybody, if anybody knows where she is, can you please let me know? And that was, that was a Facebook post that I saw of my sister looking for me. And so I got in contact with her and she was just, she was really excited. And she was like, can you help us find, you know, my, the fourth oldest sibling. And I was like, (laughs) I was kind of stressing for a minute. And I was like, I just, you know, need a minute to kind of take all this in. I, I don't know who the fourth sibling is. And And when I get something in my head, I cling to that. And I'm like, golly, like, what if I were to just try to find the fourth sibling? And I did. I put her picture on my my Facebook. And, you know, I was like, this is my sister. She's the fourth oldest. And, you know, if anybody knows where she is, can you just help me find her? And ironically, it was about three days later, some lady in Indiana messaged me and she said, you know, I've paid for a high search in database and I think I found your sister because of a birthmark. And she sent me the profile and I live in Tulsa and my sister, the lady in Indiana, she found her and she lived in Broken Arrow. <laughs> so that put all six, that put all six of us together. That's amazing. Yeah. So are you, I assume you guys are all originally from Oklahoma. Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That would, that would be super weird if, if you were all originally from New York and you ended up in the same state. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> yeah. just so amazing. You know, and when our son, when, when his stepbrother found him, he found him through, um, I think it was a 23 and me or ancestry search, something yeah. like that. That's how yeah. they found each other. And the, in today's world, because of all the DNA stuff that like, we can find people, these are not the thing, you know, people have for decades, for well since the beginning of adoptions really we have not had the had near as much access to finding people like this ever this yeah. is just a whole it was year. amazing yeah i mean she she lived in indiana she was like i found your sister she lives in broken era like the same state i was and it was just it was a an amazing com- accomplishment to help to help my siblings kind of in that 20 year search now was was morgan your your original birth name correct yes okay you know, some, sometimes they change names entirely. Sometimes they don't. And, you know, I'm, I don't know that I can really speak to whether or not that's appropriate or not, or good or bad, or, you know, discuss all of that, but I know that yeah. it can be a thing. Yeah, I am. I am very happy that my adoptive parents kept my name because I do know that my mother did pick that name and that my name now is kind of a more important to me uh, because I do know that that came from her at least. Yeah. And you know, with one of our kids in particular, we changed the entire name, but mostly because of the, um, the people associated with that. It's, it's actually kind of a family member and by kind of, you know, there's steps and halves and all that involved, but you know, kind of a right. family member, not blood related, but, uh, but related to family. And some of those people are, we'll say dangerous <laughs> to be yeah, kind, yeah. you know, people who all like to dress in the same color and, and tend to tend to hang out and do things that are not necessarily legal. And we're like, yeah, we don't need any easy connection there. You know, I, I don't, yeah, for sure. I, I don't need a bunch of gang members showing up in my doorstep to deal with. So we, we did change the name 
because of that reason. But, you know, other than that, we've, uh, we have really been careful about, about how we handle that because it's so very difficult. Um, so as you, as you've met your family members, I'm just curious, what is that like for you? You know, and do you think you would have benefited from an open adoption, you know, because obviously you haven't had the opportunity to really make those connections with your parents, but if you were the only one taken from the home, certainly your siblings did have some of that connection with them and know a lot of stuff. So do you, do you think you would have benefited from an open adoption where you would have had still had the ability to meet and see them through your years of growing up? Uh, personally, it, I don't think that I would have benefited from that. I, and you know, the number one thing people ask me, are you mad at your mom and dad for not telling you? Are you mad at your mom and dad for not telling you? What I have found out is from my biological family is um, it wasn't anything that would have benefited me growing up, going through those teenage years, trying to focus on school and things like that. Um, and so, I, you know, I go back and forth. It really is a battle of, you know, here's my root, here's where I come from, but then here's the family who saved my life and, and made me who I am. And it, it truly is one of the biggest battles I think I will ever go through. So if I take you back to the, uh, I don't know, we'll say 14 year old Morgan, do you think that if you'd had that to deal with at that age, because you know, we've got lots of kids and I know, you know, 14 is one of those ages where a lot of kids are struggling just with biology because you know, puberty right. and life and, and all that stuff. And there's something about that, you know, middle school, high school age kids that really struggle in that time frame because you've got a lot of stuff to deal with. You know, if you were to ask that girl, do you think she would agree with you today? Or do you, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what, what do you think your perspective would have been as you struggled through that? I, I think it would have been the same because even dealing with it at 23 years old, I honestly, I didn't think I was going to snap out of it. Um, I was going, I was in the middle of vet tech school. I am a vet tech and I specialize in animal rehab. And when I, I found out when I was in the middle of school and even some of my instructors at school pulled me into their office and they're like, Morgan, like, what is wrong with you? Like <laughs> my grades definitely were uh, slipping. I just wasn't focused. I just, I wasn't there because I, my world had just flipped upside down within a matter of seconds. And I was trying to figure out who I was at 14. Golly, I, I couldn't have handled it. No. Well, that's, uh, that, that's not always, you know, the way that we, we think in that moment, but it's great to hear that you, you've realized that, you know, and, and you understand how difficult that is, you know? So as you've met your siblings and, and some of your extended family, is that connections that you continue to, to grow today? I do. Yeah. I, you know, I can text some of my siblings right now if I wanted and to know that they had, they've spent their whole life searching for me. It, it's so bizarre to just be like, Hey, you know, here I am. So yes, um, I am an aunt. My, my biological sister, she has two little girls and a little baby boy on the way. And so I am, I do get to be a part of their life. Um, I visit with them and see them. Um, you know, with everyone kind of being raised different, you know, it, it's definitely not that family dynamic that I wished it would have been, but it's, it's definitely, it's good. It's nothing too bad. 
Well, I'm just going to say I could text some of my family members today who wouldn't even respond to me. So don't feel too <laughs> too bad at all there because you're probably doing better than I am. And I was raised my entire life with those siblings. So, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, family's a tricky thing sometimes, especially when you throw things like that in it. And it sounds like you, you know, not knowing what, what your situation was exactly when you, you know, why you came into foster care. But I'm just going to assume that there is some level of trauma that comes through that, whether it's just the loss of first family or some other part piece of abuse or, or difficulty, whether, you know, abuse, neglect, um, drug abuse. You know, these are alcohol abuse. These are all the things that are that are oftentimes, you know, young kids deal with. And so as you look, look at that and you look at your life, is that some traumas that that you've dealt with over the years? Do, have you been to therapy to to? figure out what some of those trauma triggers are and, and responses, or is that something you've been pretty fortunate not to deal with throughout your life? So, yeah, that's a, that's funny. You asked that because my whole life, um, I, my childhood, the only thing I remember is being with the wolves, my family now and traveling across the nation for baseball games, like baseball. I just, I love baseball and my brother played. And I think that's why I like baseball so much because that was my only childhood memory. Cause by the time I had memory myself, I was already with the wolves when we were doing the whole baseball thing. And so growing up, I had this perfect childhood. Um, didn't go without anything. Always had a roof over my head, the bed, food, clothes. I did not go without anything. Um, so learning what I went through, knowing that it was the exact opposite, um, definitely is, it is hard to handle. Um, you know, like I said, I will never say a negative word about my biological mom and dad. Um, I, I didn't know the lives that they led, but they did. Uh, they spent the majority of their lives in prison drugs, alcohol. Um, and I've seen it all. I, I've looked up their names on the, whatever website that is that where everything's public and I've seen every charge I've seen it all. And to know that that's what I come from, you know, really is something unique. But as far as living through that trauma, I personally don't, I don't remember any of it. Um, I've always kind of wondered why I've had anxiety my whole life, knowing that I've had this perfect, stable childhood. And I've always, I've always just kind of been on the anxious side of things. And now that I know where I came from, I think it does make sense because they talk about, you know, babies, infants acting out and going through trauma and you can kind of tell. And so I think that is truly where some of my, a lot of my anxieties came from. But the reason I went into the system was, I don't know what the circumstance was. I don't know what all led to this, but basically my biological father was trying to run off with me and I was in the back seat of his car and he wrecked that vehicle. And so of course we went to the police station and he, I, he had tried to run off with me again. And so he grabbed me by the arm and we were running across the parking lot. I had scrapes and bruises all over me. And, and so they again caught him. And so we went back to the police station and that's when the social worker showed up and the social worker was just calling foster family after foster family. Like, can you come pick up this little girl? Can you pick up this little girl? Can you pick up this little girl? And, Finally, a family picked up and they dropped everything they were doing and, and they gave me a home for about a year and a half. My sister Leah, she was not with me. 
And so that's how we got separated. That's how I got pulled from the family. Wow. You know, as crazy as that story sounds, you and Amanda share a a little bit of common story there. Um, Amanda was actually kidnapped by her biological father as a, um, how old? Uh, I was an infant around six months old. So yeah, she's, you know, it's, you'd think that would be less common that you wouldn't have a couple of people meet who've been through that same exact crazy story. But you know, right. there's the, the book by, um, oh, I forget. It might be Dan Siegel, but you, you know, it's, if, if you, anybody wants to find it, you go to the, on our website on fostercarenation.com. If you click book resources tab, um, there at the top on the website or under the menu button on the, on the uh, mobile stuff, there's a book there called, um, the body remembers, I think is what it is. Yes. And yeah. And it talks about the effects of trauma, especially, you know, in ones as, as little as, as six months old and how that trauma affects yeah. you just, you know, in, in very large ways as adults sometimes, and you don't yeah. necessarily have to remember it consciously, your body remembers it. You know, some yeah. brain science about the way that trauma affects the brain is now is just amazing. So yeah, that's my yeah, my mom, she, she's always told me how big of a fit thrower I was just would just scream bloody murder for no reason. Just, I, uh, she, she always tells me I was the biggest fit thrower and looking back, you know, I'm so thankful for my adopted parents to have not given up on me because I, uh, I was a terror of a child when I was little and it just, I know why I know why I was. And they probably had no clue because let's see, you are, you said 27 now. So that, that was more than 20 years ago. And none of that science was really out in the open. Nobody really knew anything about all of that. And that's, you, right. know, you know, Hey, this so kid should be happy. talked about either. You know, nobody, nobody yeah. wants to admit that they need help. You know, nobody wants to admit that their child needs help and that, you know, they're failing as a parent is, you know, is, is what they feel. And it's it's absolutely not that. You're not failing as a parent. You're just trying to figure out how to meet your child where they're at. Yeah, for sure. And in the foster and adoptive system, oftentimes you don't know where they're at. Because we only know the, um, the amount of trauma a kid's been through by what somebody has witnessed and told the authorities and right. the authorities have told you. And there's lots of places for that to fall apart. And you, you not hear important pieces of information. But there's also the stuff that, that never gets reported. That never right. gets told. Yeah. You know, we had one particular kid with us who was a little bit older and, you know, with us for a very short time. But in that short time, in the conversations we were able to have, I will guarantee you there's part of that kid's story that has never been told. You know, yeah. I'm pretty certain that they, they had experienced a, a decent level of sexual, decent is the wrong word here, but, you know, a healthy level. No an unhealthy level of sexual abuse. There's not a good way to say that, yeah. but had been through some yeah. stuff that they had never told anybody and nobody had a clue about it. And I could kind of see hints of it, little pieces, little parts, and they, they never disclosed to me. And, and I never said anything to that child about it either, because if they weren't right for it, I was, I'm not the person to uncover that for you. You know, I, my PhD in psychology is completely experimental and I wrote the paper, you know, my, my diploma out with crayon. So yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a very valid diploma to, to use and say, I can, I can deal with a kid in that kind of heavy trauma. So I did not chase that with them, but I know that's something that there was something there. Yeah. It definitely opened my eyes, like going through what I did. It definitely opened my eyes on the number of 
you know, foster care statistics and, and trauma and abuse that this nation really does go through. And it's, it, it's not talked about. Yeah. We're just starting to get to the place where, you know, there's a handful of podcasts out there about, about, um, foster care and adoption and the trauma that occurs inside of that. There's not a lot in there. There's not a lot for people to know. And we meet people yeah. in this world. And we assume that that person just, you know, they're just crazy. I don't know. I don't know why, you know, this, I don't know why Morgan at work is always so anxious. I don't know what her deal is. You know, she had a perfect life growing up. I don't know what her deal is. Yeah, and people exactly. will think those thoughts because they don't understand how little of what we know about a human is the full right. truth. And even just in my situation, like, I, you know, it really is such an honor to be here with you because my only prayer has just, you know, finding out that I was adopted at 23 years old, like what I would have given to have been able to talk to someone right in that moment that had found out late in life, like I did. And my only prayer to God has been like, if you, if you get me through this, like I promise, like you're going to have to give me a reason to help people you know, please lead me to help people. And that's ironically, that's when all my Miss Oklahoma stuff fell into place. And my whole platform is foster care and adoption. And so you to help me get my story out, it really does mean a lot to me. Yeah, that's a huge piece of, of what we do. Oh, baby girl's not very happy about what you've had to go through either. She's telling us all about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's really difficult. Sorry, we're going to have to tell her to be quiet. Amanda, can you tell her to be quiet, please? <laughs> she, <laughs> but no, that, you know, you tell the story. And I think my big question is because you framed it up perfectly for me. At some point, there is a pivotal moment somewhere in there where you went from being a victim and consciously chose to be somebody who's out there being, being the vessel of help for others. Like you, you can stay the victim your whole life. I have met, I have met eighty-year-old men who are still the victim and hate the world and they're angry and they're grumpy and they're crotchety and nobody likes them. And yeah. if you knew their childhood story, you probably feel sorry for them. But they spent eighty years ruminating over that hard stuff. They never got to the point yeah. where they decided I'm going to go help people and make my pain count and make this pain something in, into something beautiful. So I'm curious, what was that moment for you that said, okay? This is hard. This is difficult. I mean, everybody knows that having going through that shift would be difficult just to realize all that in your life. But what was yeah. it that made you turn and go, now it's time to make this worthwhile? I'm going to do something. Yes. Yeah. So I vividly remember that moment. I was having a rough day at school and, uh, you know, I was still kind of in the middle of figuring out who's who in my biological family and, you know, asking a lot of questions about my biological mother. Um, you know, like I said, going into this, I was very curious. I, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people that find out, you know, kind of later in life, they don't want anything to do with it. And I, I definitely was on the flip side of that. I was very curious. And so I was just asking lots of questions and um, just trying to figure stuff out. I just staying up all night. I was just driving myself insane, trying to put this big puzzle piece together that I was 23 years late to. <laughs> and so my pivotal moment was the day that I saw my biological mother's urn. Uh, that was the day that I said, God, you're going to have to lead me to help people or I'm going to go insane. I said, I can't do this. 
I, I physically, I can't do it. Uh, so seeing my biological mother's urn, definitely, you know, cause that's, that's pretty much the closest thing that I'm going to get to knowing who she was, um, what she, what she looked like. Like, I just, I, I have no idea. I've been able to see a few pictures, but that was my moment that I was like, all right, I cannot go down this dark hole. Okay. So I'm going to have to ask this question next. Um, you know, that not to wax too awful, um, religious on anybody here because I don't try and push my own spiritual beliefs on anybody, but there is that, or that chapter. in I think Ephesians where the, there's a benediction in there that says, you know, to him who is able to do more than we can, um, exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. So what is what is that? What is your your exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine that 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 you, God could put you in a place to do? What what is your your I could be ecstatic if I could make this kind of a difference? So one of my favorite quotes that I've came across through going all this is um, it states, "You have been assigned this mountain to show others that it can be moved." And that quote kind of got me through a lot too, because, you know, how, how lucky am I to have gone through the trauma that I did, but then end up with the amazing family that I was placed with like that. A lot of times that doesn't happen. And so I felt like I needed to take advantage of that. You know, I kind of, I wallowed in my self pity there for a little bit and just, I got real angry and bitter about it. And I finally was like, Morgan, you have been blessed with a wonderful family and be thankful for it. Shortly after that, um, I do work with a group that's called Storybook Princesses and I've been casted as Jasmine. And so we do like little girls birthday parties, uh, events, meet and greets and pictures and photo ops and things like that. And so, you know, how cool is it to make these children happy and them not know anything of what I've been through. Well, that is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Because I, I love it when I see people who've been through hard things, who've been through that tough spot and have chosen to make some sort of beauty for others come out of it. That's been such yeah. a pivotal decision in my own life. You know, um, most of the listeners will know, but, uh, you know, that we lost what, Seven years ago, yeah, about it's almost seven years ago, we lost our oldest daughter. And I want to say that okay. was one of the hardest things for me is to figure out yeah. how to how to take that pain and turn it into something beautiful. And yes. if if I can do that, if I can turn that pain into something beautiful, whatever you've been through, you can do the same. You know, that's just the way I right. see it. You know, anybody yeah. can can find some beauty in some hard places if um if i can so yeah it's i, I love yeah. that that you're you're doing that who in your life embodied that for you and helped you realize that that's like that's the better way to be rather than to be the victim uh you're asking who who instilled that in me yeah who helped you helped you learn to be that way as opposed to because we all know somebody who's been through something and they have been the victim that for their entire life who taught you not to allow that to be your, you know, victim to be your name? Honestly, just my family that I was raised with. You know, when my adoption came 
to the surface. Um, it was, you know, as much as of a traumatic event as it was for me, this involved the whole family, you know, and so it was kind of like that sit down moment, you know, family, big crisis talk, you know, I remember calling a lot of my family members and, you know, telling them that I know about my adoption now. And because the whole family knew, my whole entire family knew, I, I mean, I, I did have little cousins that didn't know. And so, you know, aunt and uncles had to sit them down and, and kind of talk about this family crisis that everyone had just went through. And so I definitely went about it from trying not to be selfish because as much as this impacted my life, this also changed my whole family and what my, what my parents had to go through. You know, I couldn't imagine the seat they were in, you know, when, when do we tell her, when do we tell her, when do we tell her, you know, how do we tell a little girl, all this trauma she's been through and, you know, we don't want her to feel different. And so I definitely kept my family's emotions in my head as well. Yeah. That's one of those things that most people don't think about because, you know, mostly people who hear about it, you know, a kid who's found out later in life about having been adopted, they say, well, why didn't they tell him? Why didn't they tell him? And, you know, understanding that side of it is really difficult. So I'm, I love to yeah. hear that, you know, you found some grace for your parents in that moment and understanding how difficult it is for them to figure that out as they walk through it. Yes. Yeah. When you had first contacted me, that was one one of the first things I thought about was I'm like, oh crap, that's almost you know that that's so very similar to to our son's story. And you know, like I had mentioned before, fortunately he was fairly graceful in the way that he handled it. It was not something that you know. As a matter of fact, before that conversation was over, one of the things he said to us was, "Mom, Dad, this doesn't change anything." Yeah, you know, he just my. When so when I was with my my second foster family family, one of the big things that will stick with me, what my dad had told me was my dad that adopted me. He so my mom and dad, they adoption foster care was not even in the realm of their thought process, and they happened to go to this church, and that's when they saw me because I used to go to church with the second foster family I was with. They would take me with them, and my dad tells me that I was in the front pew, and I would turn around and I would just look at them. And so they left that week and then they came back the next week. And the second time I actually got up from my pew and I sat right in between them. And so, of course, you know, that that kind of reeled in my mom and dad who adopted me and they started asking around about me and my story. And all I had was. Another thing that's not talked about is the foster care children that have they don't have anything. I had this little suitcase, this little pink suitcase, um, you know, with some shirts and clothes in it. And that was all I had. And but word for word, when I found out, my dad said, you know, Morgan, I wasn't, we weren't going to let you live in a suitcase anymore. You know, we were going to give you a home. Wow. Wow. Well, and, and I can tell you from a parent's perspective, because we've been there there's no intention of harm you know there's it's not something that's done out of malicious nature right you know and, and i can tell you you know i was terrified i was so terrified when our son found out that he would be so angry with us you know particularly yeah. me you know and i'm so thankful for the way that it went but i understand the parents that are out there 
that are struggling to tell their children these things. And since we had this experience with our son, you know, we have every placement that we have taken that we have adopted. They know their story. They know their story, the pieces that we have. They know they're adopted. You know, we never, never want to make that choice again. Right. Yes. I, you know, it's, it's a big balancing act that I have because, you know, I think that if I kind of would have found out a little bit sooner, I probably wouldn't have went through the hardships that I did. But and then I look at the big picture and I'm like, well, mom and dad, you, you know, they saved my life. And so for me to sit here and be mad at them, I just I can't get myself to do it. And as far as, you know, my number one goal with this is to just, you know, because earlier you had asked me, how do I, how do I get through it? Why did I choose to be, oh, what's the word? Like, how do you choose to be more supportive through it? And it's just, I just want to be that, that hand to help someone else through it. I know that I have to handle it well to help someone else. And I just don't want anyone else to go through this alone. They find out late in life. Yeah, it's definitely a strange place to be put in in your life and and, and you know like, as Amanda said it's it's not a choice that most people make maliciously it's it's really because we make them as as parents one of the few times we'll admit this and kids if you're listening I hope you're much older when you run across this podcast and you'll understand it better but what you need to know is we're kind of clueless just because we're mom and dad and adults doesn't mean we have a clue what the heck we're doing you know and, and we're doing the best we can and that's one of the things, you know, because my parents raised us in some ways that I will disagree with today. And right. I also know that they were kind of clueless, just like us. Yes, they didn't really know what sure. they were doing. They were doing the best <laughs> they had with what they had, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so it's it's one of those one of those lessons that I think helps us mature as we learn learn that about life. You know, I, I remember for years wondering when I was going to feel like I was the grown up and the adult who knew what was going on, and I'm like. Yeah, I don't think I get to be that guy. Maybe <laughs> if I make it to like 70 or 80, I'll feel like I know what the heck I'm doing. But I haven't gotten to feel right. that yet. Yet. So so what would you say to, to some someone else who is in your situation who maybe just found out that something was, was going on in your, you know, in their life and they may or may not have have to search out the family the way that you did that something could be going on like well how would you encourage him what would be your best piece of advice i think that i would i would truly ask them what they wanted to come from it and i would support that answer because you know to tell someone that's going through this you know don't look for your biological family there's a reason you're in foster care they're not good people yada 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 cuz i got told that a lot too they were like morgan there's a reason you're pulled from that family so you don't need to go after you don't need to go after them. And I, again, that's just like struck me to my core because whatever I would tell them, whatever you want to find out, you work hard and figure it out because you don't want to spend the rest of your life wondering. And that was kind of my motive to get all this figured out because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life wondering if I, you know, if I would have even tried to find my biological sister, the fourth one, you know, none of this, the sibling reunion may have not have even happened, you know? And so I would, I truly would just support them in whatever decision or whatever route they wanted to go down. That's, that's amazing. Then I have to just, 
you know, because we're, we're running out of time here, but I want to, you know, also throw, how, how do you go from, from the little girl who was, who was pulled out of her home, went through foster care, ended up going through the adoption thing, uh, and finding out you're adopted all, and then, and then turn into Miss Oklahoma. <laughs> Again, ah, I'm going to try not to cry through this one. Um, I, you know, I truly do think that, you know, God pulled me through this. You know, I remember being on my lowest point. I said, God, you're going to have to pull me through this to help people. And that truly is what, uh, not long after is when my Miss Oklahoma stuff fell into place. And, you know, my family definitely pulled me through it as well. I think one thing I would tell people that are going through it, you know, go ahead and search everything that you want to, you want to find, do it, figure it out. But on the flip side of it, you also may find out some things that you may not want to know and you need to be prepared for that. As I mentioned before, this is so much of a story of, of pain being turned into something of beauty. And so I, I just want to commend you for, for sharing your story of how you went from a kid who was thrust into a situation of no fault of your own that caused lots of pain right. and anger and probably later resulted in a lot of anxiety and probably anger. I don't know. I'm a boy. I know young boys. We tend, we tend to go through more anger than the girls do sometimes, but not always. Um, but you turned that in, you, you made your way through that and found your way into something beautiful. And you're sharing your story with the world and helping to encourage other kids who've been through that. And I think that is just a beautiful part of your story. It, you know, and what I want to end with is, you know, as much as I do give credit to God, I do see the, the flip side of it because in a lot of my, a lot of my friends and stuff know what I've been through and they're like, you know, Oh, God saved you from the situation and you have a family and da, 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 da. And it's like, yes, that did happen. But I also think of my, you know, siblings and other children who did not get pulled from that situation. And, you know, it's, it's almost like a survival guilt situation. And because I'm like, why was I the one to be pulled from the situation I didn't need to be in, but all these other kids don't get pulled from that. And so it, it certainly is just, the cards that you were given and whatever cards you were handled, just try to play the best of it. Cause you may never know what happens. You know, I never in my wildest dreams that I ever think that I would become Miss Oklahoma and you display the best of what you've been given. So I have a question now that you're Miss Oklahoma, you know, what are your plans? Do you have plans for the future? Are you maybe considering some, some foster care or adoption in your future? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really thought much of that. Um, I'm currently single. I, I don't not marry, don't have any kids of my own. So that that's kind of down the line. But as far as my Miss Oklahoma goes, even after my my reign is over, I do plan on volunteering with a group that's called the Tulsa Girls Home. And they do house girls that have aged out of the foster care system because there's also that whole ordeal, you know, there, yes, there's a lot of children in foster care, but then there's a lot that age out of it and they're just very lost and just need help. And so right now I am kind of volunteering with them to kind of help just be a mentor. And I really do plan on just kind of digging heavy into that and just really sharing my story and saying, Hey, you know, this is what I've been through. This is what can come of it if you, you know, make their correct choices and things like that. 
Um, once my reign is over, um, I do plan on, you know, doing volunteer work, but I don't know. I think maybe one day if I get married, I think I would try to run again, but we'll see what the future holds. Well, it's good to see that you have a plan um, because Amanda and I are always crazy people who always, always bring it back to that. You know, single people can be foster parents too. Just so you know, just so you know, maybe not you, somebody else yeah. didn't hear that when they listen to this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's, that's one of those little pieces that a lot of people don't realize. So I always like to throw that, that stuff out there. You know, this, we all have a reason why we can't do it, but not everybody understands why they should be doing it. So if it's in your heart and soul, you know, to anybody listening, if it's something that you feel that, that, that is pulling you, tugging at your heartstrings, feel it free to reach out to us, ask us a question, find out your local DCS, DHS, DFS, DIFUS, whatever it is, CPS in your area and, and learn something about it. Um, well, if I can, we'll, we'll help you as much as possible. If you just, you know, fostercarenation.com, you'll find us over there. And my email is jason at fostercarenation.com. So we always try to help anybody who has any questions around that because, you know, it's, it's always, it's always a part of somebody's thought process. Say just yesterday, I had a friend of mine who mentioned to me that his wife was talking about, about thinking about doing foster care and or adopting. And, and he had some questions and I'm like, dude, like you've got my phone number. Just call me Put her <laughs> on the phone. We'll talk together. We'll, we'll do a conference call. We'll zoom, whatever. I'll talk to you about it because it's something that you mentioned. The need is the need is huge. You know, over half a million kids. Yes. Well, I think it's, it's right at the half a million kid mark that are in the foster system right now in the U S and the number of kids who age out, the stats are not good not good they yeah. so many of them end up yeah. instead of group homes they end up in prisons because you know of all the yeah. all the problems that come into kids lives when they don't have that that family structure around them to keep them on the straight and narrow for sure well you guys are doing good work yourself well thank you thank you and thank you so much for taking your time to share your story today we really do for appreciate sure. it. thank you for having me okay foster care nation Thank you for listening to Morgan's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled <laughs> Studios. Studios.